بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد فان احسن الكلام كلام الله وخير الهدى هدى محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وان شر الامور محدثاتها وكل محدثه بدعه وكل بدعه ضلاله وكل ضلاله في النار uh, so today we are continuing uh, the lecture that we started uh, a few weeks back الحث على اغتنام الاعمار والاوقات في الاعمال الفاضله which is the encouragement to use one's life one's lifespan and to use one's time in acquiring the good deeds the virtuous the righteous deeds and so just to recap the first lesson we mentioned in the first lesson we made a few points before entering into uh, the subject matter uh, the first point was that we should know the difference that when we speak about acquiring good deeds earning good deeds and how that gives you uh, satisfaction gives you pleasure gives you serenity gives you calmness right makes you happy that we have to understand that Allah azza wa jal as he says in the Quran um wama khalaqtu al-jinna wal-insa illa liya'budun i did not create jinn and men except that they may worship me so life has a meaning life has a purpose life has a goal and a destination and there is a truth the truth is none has the right to be worshiped except Allah alone and so as part of that Allah azawajal has obviously sent us guidance but the other view is that there's no meaning and there's no purpose and there's no direction so each person on his own he has to sit and think and work out his own meaning to devise his own meaning right so we said that in 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 one where life does have a meaning life does have purpose you have a very optimistic outlook you have optimism optimism means that you you know that that you that you are positive and uh, you have a positive outlook and you have good thoughts you have good anticipations you anticipate reward in the hereafter you know that your deeds are not in vain right and so you you're optimistic because you have something to look forward to life has a meaning life has a direction on the other hand when you look at like, like atheism naturalism and you know uh, there's no meaning there's no purpose and uh, these these philosophies they exist there's nihilism there's existentialism these are philosophies that men think of to try and make sense of life without guidance from allah without revelation from allah and so they try to make sense of life and they come up with different ideas and really these ideas are just their own personal experiences that they've had in their life right and it shapes the way they think and it shapes the way that they think the world should be and so they come up with these ideas but ultimately there's no meaning there's no purpose there's no direction and you have to invent your own purpose your own direction right the only truth is the truth is whatever is truth to you in your mind and so these people uh, they 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 have a very pessimistic outlook pessimistic means it's very negative and um, you know uh, very speculative and you always looking at the most negative you know thing now we mentioned some quotes from some of these atheists from Richard Dawkins from other people to show that when they when they propound these ideas and this idea that life is completely meaningless purposeless purposeless there's no direction then it really <clears throat> it just undermines everything and really there's nothing really to live for in reality 
So then they find ways to enjoy themselves and to find pleasure and to exhaust all these things in life. And then once they've been through all of that, and then they realize that there's no satisfaction, there's no happiness, there's no serenity in these things, then they realize how utterly uh, negative and bleak life is. And they come to this realization. And so that's why they then, I mentioned, I mentioned about like suicide and things of that nature. Anyway, that was the first point that we mentioned in the previous lesson. The second point that we mentioned was <clears throat> that when it comes to deeds, when it comes to actions, actions have properties, right? Just like things have properties, right? Wood is hard. Water is, is, is soft. It's a liquid. It's fluid, right? There are things which have, you know, all sorts of properties. In the same way, the deeds, actions have properties. They have attributes, right? Lying has a property. Lying has a property which makes it evil, right? Being truthful, speaking the truth, has a property, has properties, has qualities which make it beneficial, which make it, you know, beneficial. And the same applies to so many other things. Justice, to be just, this has certain qualities and properties which make it rectifying and which, which make it good and beneficial. And oppression, right, is, is wrong, it's evil, it's harmful, it has certain properties, right? So, in what Allah has created, in the things, in the beings that Allah has created, right? Angels are created from light. Men are created from the dust of the earth. Jinn are created from the smokeless part of the fire. Everything, whether physical, it, you know, it has properties and qualities. And similarly, the actions, the behaviors, right? They also have properties. And it's for that reason that in the guidance that Allah sent in his books, then things are either commanded or things are prohibited. Those things which are prohibited, it is because they are evil, they are harmful. right? Their properties are such that they, that they are harmful, they cause corruption in society. right? The things which are prohibited. So we are prohibited committing shirk with Allah, because that's an intellectual deviation. We are prohibited from oppression like murder and harming somebody and taking his wealth or injuring him or things of that nature. That's oppression. right? We are prohibited from fornication and adultery because these are corruptions and harms and evils in society. You are prohibited from alcohol and intoxicants because they befog the mind. right? And people do things which are harmful as a result of that. Conversely, you know, we are ordered to worship Allah alone. We are ordered to be truthful. We are ordered to be obedient to parents, righteous to parents, and so on and so on and so forth. Right? These are the, these are deeds which are enjoined or which are prohibited because they either have a rectifying influence or they have a corrupting influence. And Allah put in every soul a basic the fitrah. And there are some things that we that we know, that we can know that they are wrong. We know lying is wrong instinctively. We know it's wrong. Right? And we know injustice is wrong. Right? There are things, certain things that we, that we know. But there are some things for which we need guidance from Allah Right? Because one person with his intuition and even with his intellect, he cannot figure out all of these realities and these truths. So therefore we need guidance from Allah which agrees with reason, it agrees with the fitra, it actually comes to perfect the fitra, as Ibn Taymiyyah mentioned, that the revelation and the messengers, they were sent in order to perfect the fitra, right? The, the natural original disposition. So because of this, we know that we have guidance Unlike the people of philosophy, you know, the naturalists, the atheists, because they are left to their own devices, they are left to their own intellects to dream up and to think up and to invent whatever they think, right? But we have guidance from Allah Azza which liberates us and frees us 
Right? We are liberated by way of this guidance. It's not like what they say. That you are in chains, you are in shackles, you, you can't do this because this is haram, that's haram, that's haram. You, you have to do it. No. We are liberated by this guidance. Whereas you people, you are lost in, in misguidance. Right? You are lost in, in this misguidance. That was the second point that we mentioned. And uh, the third point is that the righteous deeds, therefore, that we are discussing in this lecture, the righteous deeds, the virtuous deeds, uh, these are deeds that we do, uh, which are worship of Allah. Uh, we uh, buy it, we uh, remind ourselves, it's remembrance, it's dhikr, it's prayer, it's voluntary fasting, it's charity, it's these types of things which bring benefit to ourselves, first of all. It has a rectifying effect on our souls, and also it rectifies the society, it minimizes evil, it brings uh, happiness, and so on and so forth. So we mentioned those points, and then uh, the Shaykh, Hafizullah, he mentions verses from the Qur'an, يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا اتَّقُوا اللَّهِ وَالْتَنْظُرْ نَفْسٌ مَا قَدَّمَتْ لِغَدٍ O you who believe, Fear Allah and let each soul look at what it has prepared for tomorrow, what it has sent forth for tomorrow. And likewise, Ya Yuhaladina Amanu, La Tulhikum Amwalukum, Wala Auladukum, and Dikrillah. O you who believe, do not let your wealth or your offspring to divert you from the remembrance of Allah. The Shaykh mentioned these two verses and uh, he uh, he mentioned some benefits from these verses. From them is that whenever we hear in the Qur'an, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu, whenever we hear this, O you who believe, then you should pay careful attention. Because either it is a command that's going to benefit you, or it's going to be a prohibition that's going to keep you away from harm or from evil. Um, likewise, uh, the Sheikh mentioned how the uh, way of the companions was to very quickly respond. That when they hear this in the Quran, Ya Yuhaladina Amanu, they're very, very quick to respond because they know that whether it's a command or it's a prohibition, that this is something that is going to obviously uh, benefit them in this life. And the next, um, the Sheikh also mentioned that these verses, uh, there are two points that he, that he basically mentioned. Uh, first of all, uh, that they encourage a person to prepare for the hereafter. And they encourage a person to strive against his soul to prepare for the hereafter. And secondly, that a person should make good use of his life and his time in what will bring him actual benefit. Actual benefit in this life and in the hereafter. And so today's lesson, so this was just a recap of what we, what we discussed in the previous lesson. Uh, today we continue, inshallah we'll finish the rest of the, the lecture. And so the Shaykh begins, or he continues, sorry, and after mentioning those two verses, which we discussed in the previous lesson, he now mentions two hadiths. Two important hadiths uh, which are very profound and uh, have much uh, guidance for us. The first of those hadiths is the hadith of Ibn Umar radiallahu anhu which is in Sahih al-Bukhari. And in this hadith uh, there occurs that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa he took hold of the two, the shoulders of Ibn Umar. And he said to him, he said to him, Kun fi dunya, kun fi dunya, ka annaka gharibun aw abiru sabil. So he took hold of his two, uh, you know, shoulders here and he said, Be in the world as if you are a stranger. Be in the world as if you are a stranger. Or, a wayfarer, meaning a traveler. And then, 
Ibn Umar, he used to say, so he heard this advice from the Messenger of Allah be in the world as if you are a stranger or a wayfarer, meaning a traveler. So Ibn Umar used to say, when you, when you arrive in the evening, إِذَا أَمْسَيْتَ فَلَا تَنْتَذِرَ الصَّبَاحِ When you arrive in the evening, then do not wait for the morning. Don't anticipate the morning. And when you arise in the morning, do not anticipate the evening. Do not wait for the evening. وَخُذْ مِنْ صِحَّتِكَ لِمَرَضِكَ Take from your health for your sickness. Take from your health for your sickness. وَمِنْ حَيَاتِكَ لِمَوْتِكَ And from your life for your death. Right? So this is the first hadith. This clearly, as you can see, it is an encouragement to um, abstain from that which is superfluous in life. Right? To abstain from that which is not going to benefit me, benefit you in this life. And to be as if you are a stranger. To be as if you were a traveler. And the second part, which is the statement of Ibn Umar, as you can see, uh, this is guidance uh, which, which explains to us how to use our time and how to take advantage of health and how to take advantage of life itself. So inshallah, we're going to stop on this uh, hadith for a short while and uh, we'll, we'll take some benefit from Shaykh Ibn Thaymeen, rahimahullah, who has some commentary on this uh, hadith. This hadith is from An-Nawawi's 40 hadith. It's actually the, the 40th hadith, uh, I believe, right at the very end. And uh, so the Sheikh says, the Sheikh says that the person who is a gharib, the stranger, what is a stranger? A stranger is the one who appears like in a town or in a city and he doesn't really have any fixed abode. He doesn't have any fixed place. He's a stranger. He's not from the place. So he doesn't have any fixed abode. This is the gharib, gharib. And the Abir al-Sabil means the one who is the wayfarer, the traveler. And this person is the one who is on foot. He's walking, right? He's, he's not sitting or staying in one place, but he's on the path. He's, he's, you know, he's, he's traveling. And between these two, the one who is the wayfarer, the traveler, he is like he is more renounced from the world than the stranger, right? Because the wayfarer is, is on his feet, he's traveling, he's on a journey. And the stranger, the gharib, he's like in a place. He's in a city, he's in a town, you know, he's sitting, he's not on his feet. And so that's the difference between the two. Right, so notice how the Prophet ﷺ, he used these two specific words in this hadith. He said, be like a stranger. Be in this world as if you are a stranger. Or a traveler, a wayfarer. And Sheikh Ibn Rathaymin says, what this means, the, the, the advice or the lesson here is that abstain from the world. Abstain from the world. Have zuhud. Have zuhud. And don't be too inclined towards the world. And no matter how long your life is, eventually you are going to have to depart from this life. So don't be too inclined towards this world. Now obviously this doesn't mean to abandon the world. It doesn't mean to lock yourself up in a room or in a monastery as, as some people do. Right? And, uh, you know, it, it, it means, a zuhud means to leave from the world that which will not benefit you. This is the meaning of zuhud, a zuhud. Right? To, to, to be abstemious. It doesn't mean, you know, be a monk in a monastery. It doesn't mean this. It simply means, as, as the scholars explain, a zuhud means to leave alone from the world that which is of no benefit to you in the world or in the hereafter. Right? So to have zuhud doesn't mean that, you know, you don't work and you don't earn a living and you, you know, it doesn't mean that. 
but it simply means leave what is superfluous, leave what is additional and what's not going to benefit you. So the Sheikh goes on to say, and uh, he also goes on to explain that also this life and this world, as you know, that it is not just pure happiness. Uh, it is it is has two things, one of which is old age, and one of which is death. Old age and death. So in other words, this life isn't just pure enjoyment and, and straightforward. Rather, you have to face two inevitable things. It is either old age, where you lose the faculties and the abilities and the physical strength and so on and so forth, or, you know, death will come to you. And no one can escape any of these things. So therefore, if this is the reality of the world, then you should not be inclined to it in a way that distracts you from the hereafter. Which is why the Sheikh says that these two expressions of being a stranger and being a wayfarer, these are very, you know, very appropriate uh, statements that were chosen. Likewise, the statement of Ibn Umar, radiallahu anhuma, who used to say, when you awaken, when you arrive at the evening, don't expect to, you know, the, uh, to to be there in the morning. And when you arrive in the morning or arise in the morning, do not wait or look at the evening. Take from your health for your sickness and take from your life for your death. So the Sheikh goes on to say that the meanings here, the meaning here, there's two meanings, there are two in, or meanings or interpretations. The first of them is that if you have some action or deed to do before the morning, then don't, then they don't wait for the morning. Do it now, get it done now, right? Don't put it off. Because what will happen is that when you reach the morning, you'll say, you know what, I'll, I'll leave it till the evening. And then when you reach the evening, you'll say, I'll leave it till the morning. Right? So this is, you're just delaying beneficial deeds or things that will benefit you unnecessarily. Right? And likewise, the other way around, uh, you know, when you, when you arrive or when you arise in the morning, don't look to the evening. Meaning that if you have something to do in that morning, then do it. Don't put it off to the evening because then you'll say, oh, well, I'll do it in the morning, the next morning. Right? So this is the first benefit from the statement of Ibn Umar. This is one interpretation. Don't delay things. If you've got something to do, do it now. Get it out of the way. The second interpretation is that when you arrive in the evening, don't expect to reach the morning, which means that you could even die before you reach the morning. Or you could die before you reach the evening. So, um, this we know from experience, as, as the Sheikh says, how often do we see or do we hear of a man who leaves his house in the morning and he says, I'll be back home for dinner, I'll be back home for supper, now I'll see you in 10 minutes, and off he goes in the car, whatever it might be, and he ends up dying. You know, from, from any number of different reasons. Could be, it could be because of health, right? Uh, sudden death. It could be because of an accident in a car. It could be for whatever reason. He gets knocked over by a, a, a car or something. Or he himself is in a crash or something. Or whatever it might be. People die from all sorts of unexpected things. People get struck by lightning, right? People have freak accidents. And they think it could never happen to them. So, um, this is the second meaning which is that when you arrive in the evening, do not expect to be living in the morning. And when you arrive or, you know, you awake in the morning, do not expect to arrive, to, to be there in the evening. And, you know, this is uh, the second uh, lesson or the second benefit uh, from this hadith. And um, then... Ibn Umar said, وَخُذْ مِنْ صِحَّتِكَ لِمَرَضِكَ Take from your health for your illness, for your sickness. And so what this means that when you are healthy or you are youthful, in a youthful age, when you are generally, you are healthy, you are capable, you are fit, you are agile, you know, you, you have the strength, you have the stamina, you have all these things, you are able to uh, do deeds, Righteous deeds as well. 
And uh, so what you do is that you know that at times you are going to be sick, you are going to be weak, and so you compensate for those times by being diligent and earnest in the time that you are healthy. Meaning, get more done while you are healthy. Don't be lazy. Don't sit around. Don't say, I'll do it in the evening. I'll do it. Do it straight away. Right? And acquire as much as you can of benefit while you have that good health. Um, so therefore, take from your health for your sickness. Meaning, compensate for the times of your sickness from your health when you have good health. And um, also, وَمِنْ حَيَاتِكَ لِمَوْتِكَ And take from your life for your death. So obviously, if you are living, able, capable, you have the ability to act. You have the ability to benefit yourself in this life and the hereafter. But when you die, as we know in the other hadith, when the son of Adam dies, passes away, all of his action is cut off, except for three. Either knowledge which he disseminated, which benefits people after his death, or recurring charity, charity which he gave, whose benefit is recurring, it continues, right? Like a well which he dug, or a tree which he planted, which gives fruits to people, or something of that nature. And so he continues to benefit, right? That's his deed continuing after his death. Or a righteous son who supplicates for him. Right? So when death comes, all your deeds are cut off, they finish. Only these three continue. So that means that to prepare for death, take from your life for your death. Take from your life for your death. And obviously the, these these brief words, these concise words in this hadith, in this uh, statement of the messenger of Allah and the companion Ibn Umar, they have tremendous benefit. And some of the uh, scholars of the past, they used to say that a youth... Basically, the plan that a youth should have is that he should be earnest and work hard and make sure that all of the affairs of his world, such as you know earning a living and whatever else, that he has them done by the age of 40. Right? And then from the age of 40, he just devotes himself to, 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 to worship and, and you, know, uh, you know, ibadah and things of that nature, dhikr, remembrance, because he's now on his way to towards death from the age of 40 you know you, you're more than halfway there so what this hadith shows therefore that you know in the early part of your youth take from your life for your death take from your health for your sickness and uh, don't expect to reach the morning or don't expect to reach the the evening it means that you have to be earnest and you work hard you seek the means of provision and sustenance so that Later in your life, you are not toiling and working hard. You are old. You know, you, you're becoming weak. This is the time now for, for retiring and relaxing and dedicating yourself in, in worship and remembrance. Right? So, um, also, Shaykh Al-Islam Ibn Taymiyyah, he said, speaking about wealth in general, he said that it is befitting and desirable for a person that he treats wealth as if it is like a donkey which he rides. Wealth is like a donkey that you ride. You use it and you ride it as and when you need it. Or he said, أَوْ كَأَنَّهُ بَيْتُ الْخَلَاءِ Or treat wealth as if it's like, basically, like a washroom. You only you you only you you use it as and when you need it. This is how it should be. Do not become a slave to wealth. Do not in, instead of you riding on wealth, which is like a donkey, which you use as and when you need. Do not let the wealth to ride you. Do not let wealth sit on top of you and ride you. Meaning to basically uh, take control of you, take control of your life. And for that to become the objective and, you know, because this is what happens to many, many people. They become lost and they, they become engrossed in seeking wealth. And uh, initially, 
the wealth and the excitement of wealth and generating wealth and plenty of wealth, it's exciting initially. And then they don't realize that slowly, step by step by step by step, you know, it diverts them uh, from from the realities of, of this life and uh, they lose a tremendous amount of good. Anyway, this is the first hadith, the first guidance uh, from the messenger of the Sallam mentioned by Sheikh Obeid, which teaches us the issue of time and using the time uh, wisely and in benefit. So from the benefits we take in, in summary form from this uh, hadith, first of all, uh, the hadith teaches us that we should abstain from the world. The world is temporary. You are going to die. You are going to become old. You cannot escape death. And so therefore be in this world as if you are a stranger or as if you are a traveler on the path. Um, second benefit is look at how the Messenger of Allah how he used to teach the companions he used to give them the best of examples, the best of similitudes, the best of admonitions and so this is why we, we find that the guidance brought by the final and last Prophet and Messenger Muhammad it is the most perfect and the most complete of guidance it has everything a person needs to be, uh, uh, to be happy in this life and to be successful in the hereafter. Likewise, to be successful in this life. Right? And so he used to teach these things to his uh, companions in the best of ways with the best of similitudes. Also from the benefits that any intelligent person, clearly an intelligent person, he knows that as long as he is healthy, that he should be eager to pursue his goals and his objectives and pursue his livelihood and likewise pursue righteousness and righteous deeds most you know more importantly uh, before he dies and his deeds are cut off also from this we learn from the speech of ibn umar that um, you know the two meanings that anything you need to to be done don't delay it till the morning or don't delay it till the evening that's one meaning and the second meaning is that if you are, if you reach the evening, don't expect to be living in the morning. And if you reach the morning, don't expect to be living in the evening. Because you never know when death is going to come to you. And so therefore take advantage of that time to, to, you know, do the righteous deeds, give charity, make dhikr, you know, all the, all the things, um, that, that, you know, that you, that, that will bring you benefit in the hereafter. And finally, take from your health, to compensate for your for your illness and take from your life for your for your death, right? So this is one of two texts that was mentioned by Sheikh Ubaid. and the second hadith, second lesson, or the second uh, hadith is the hadith of uh, Abu Baraza Al Aslami, who said that the Prophet وسلم, he said. لا تزول قدم عبد يوم القيامة حتى يسأل عن عمره فيما أفناه وعن علمه فيما فعل وعن ماله من أين اكتسبه وفيما أنفقه وعن جسمه فيما أبلاه. Right. So here, the messenger of Allah Subhanahu he said.
So the second hadith uh, in which the messenger of Allah he said that the two feet the two feet of the son of Adam uh, will not cease to, to remain on the day of judgment until the servant is asked about the following four things. First of all, his life, how he spent it. His life, how he spent it. Secondly, his knowledge and how he acted upon it. <clears throat> his knowledge and how he acted upon his knowledge. Thirdly, his wealth and how he earned his wealth and in what did he spend his wealth. And fourthly, about his body, how did he, uh, you know, how, how did he uh, use his body? How did he use up his, his, his body? And so, this hadith, these are four questions every Muslim, male and female, will be asked on the Day of Judgment. And so, obviously, when you hear this text, and you hear this narration, then straight away, you know, you, you start thinking of muhasabatun nafs. Muhasabatun nafs means to account, to call yourself to account, to evaluate yourself, right? And to call yourself to account. And this is exactly, in fact, what is mentioned in that verse, in the verse that Sheikh Ubaid, first of all, he mentioned, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu attaqullah, waltanzur nafsun ma qaddamat lighad. O you who believe, have taqwa of Allah, and let each soul look at what it has sent forth for tomorrow. Ibn al-Qayyim, rahimahullah, one of the great scholars, he said, this verse indicates the obligation of calling the soul to account. Meaning that you evaluate yourself. You evaluate your soul. And so he says that, you know, the meaning of this verse is that one of you should look at what he has sent forth for the day of judgment of deeds. Are they righteous deeds which are going to deliver him? Or are they evil deeds which are going to cause him ruin? Al-Hasan al-Basri, rahimahullah, from the great scholars from the Tabi'een, he said, you will not find or you will not meet a believer except that he's, that he's always calling himself, <coughs> that he's always, <coughs> that he's always calling himself to account. He will say to himself, you know, what do you desire to do? And what do you desire to eat? And what do you desire to drink? Meaning, he's always checking, is it lawful, is it beneficial, is it harmful, is it, you know, and so on and so forth. He's, he's asking, he's always evaluating. As for the sinful, the fajr, then basically he goes, he takes one step, takes the next step, and he never ever bothers to uh, find fault with himself, to evaluate himself. This is the way of the, 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 the fajr. Al-Mawardi, he said, what does it mean that you call yourself to account? It means that when a, when, a, when a person reaches the evening, he evaluates all the deeds he did during the daytime. Right? He evaluates them. And if the deeds, if he, if he thinks about all the deeds he did, well, yes, this was good, this was praiseworthy, this was beneficial. Anything he finds beneficial, then he knows that he can maintain and repeat those actions, those behaviors, those deeds. Anything that he finds is blameworthy or was blameworthy, then he tries to rectify it if he can. If it's rectifiable, he tries to rectify it. And if not, then he says, okay, in the future, I will not, I will not engage in that again. Alright? So this is muhasabatun nafs. This is calling oneself to account, calling the soul to account. And the way that you do this, the scholars basically mentioned the outline that the way this is done, uh, there's, there's two, two ways of accounting. The first is before you do any deed. Before you do any deed. And the second is 
after you have done the deed. Right? So meaning that your, your mind is always active and you are thinking, you, you are calling yourself to account, you are questioning, you are asking, you are, you know. And so as for the first type, before you do the deed, it is that whenever you get the impulse or the desire to do a deed, you know, a thought comes to your mind or a desire comes to, to, to mind, then you first of all ask, okay, is this deed, is it in agreement with the book of Allah and the sunnah of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu you know, uh, if it is, then I'll proceed. If it isn't, I will leave it. And then also he will look at a deed and he will think, if I do it, is it better for me? Or if I avoid it, is it better for me? Right? He looks at certain deeds and he thinks, okay, if I do this, what are the consequences? And if I do this, if I don't do this, what are the consequences? Which Which is the better of the two situations? And so in other words, then he also thinks, okay, why am I doing this? Is it, is it really for the for the sake of Allah Azawajal? Am I seeking his face? Or am I doing it for some other motive or reason uh, which is kind of dubious and which is, you know, worldly and which might be, you know, which, which plays with my intentions, right? So he's asking all of these questions before he even does a deed, right? And obviously this is the way of the intelligent people. This is the way of thinking people that they measure their actions, they evaluate their actions, and you know they think about the consequences before they do the deed. Not like the irrational people, right, who'll jump in with both feet into something, and they'll think of the consequences afterwards. Right? And this, as you can see, this is the way of the intelligent people, of uh, the people of Iman, the people of Taqwa, uh, this is the way of the companions, Right, that they measure their actions and they question, like whether it's to do with the religion and worship. Right, is this deed an actual righteous deed? Is it acceptable to Allah? Is it legislated even? And am I doing it? Are my intentions <coughs> are my intentions sincere? Am I sincere? Um, you know, this is how you think. And likewise, in the worldly affairs, the same same thing would apply as well. <coughs> As for the second type, this now is after you have done the deed. So not only is it before the deed, it's also after the deed. You evaluate what you've done in the past, or you evaluate what you've just done. Because you're always trying to refine and, you know. So, the, as for what you do after, when you call yourself to account afterwards, then this is in relation to a few things. First of all, you look at those things which are acts of obedience to Allah Azza wa Jal. You know, did you fall short? Were you negligent? Did you observe all of the, the things in that deed? Were you sincere? Did you have ikhlas? You know, were, were, you, were you following the, the, the sunnah of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu uh, Did you do it in the most proficient way possible? Because you can do things with excellence and proficiency. Did you maintain proficiency? Um, you know, so you maintain all of these things. This is in relation to obedience to Allah. So you call yourself account in those issues. The second issue is you call yourself to account in the things that you fell into, which are disobedience and which are harmful and which are detrimental. So did you fix them by way of tawbah, by way of istighfar? Did you compensate for those evils by way of righteous deeds which wipe them out? Have you done that? That's the second area. The third area is, you know, you ask yourself, was leaving that deed better for me than doing that deed? Because many, many deeds, many actions, it probably was better for you not to have done something than to have done something. And so you need to identify what those specific things were so that you don't repeat that, you know, in the future. So that's the third thing that you are looking for. And the fourth thing that you're looking for also is, there are many things which are basically, you know, they are not, they are not haram, they are not unlawful, they are not disliked, nor are they obligatory, nor are they recommended, they are just merely permissible. There are many permissible things. And sometimes you can engage in permissible things, and those permissible things might either be 
taken away from your time, or you might be losing the opportunity to turn them into good deeds. Now, for example, we know that pastimes and recreation of various types are perfectly permissible, right? You can exercise, you can keep fit, you can, uh, you know, there's, um, you know, you can take a stroll, you know, on the beach or on a, on a mountain or something like that. This is a this is a permissible activity. There's no reward for it. But if your intention, if you change your niya, your intention, and your intention is basically to uh, preserve the body and to refresh the body and to revitalize the body so that the body remains uh, strong and agile, as a result of which you intend that you know you are able to do more righteous deeds and you know even into into old age you maintain your fitness and your health and you can continue to do good deeds if you have this lofty intention if you have this lofty uh, concern then these actions turn into righteous deeds these are normally just permissible deeds there's no reward for them but they turn into righteous deeds purely by way of the intention behind them right which means that even in the things which are merely permissible always have a lofty noble good intention behind them and it's an easy way to acquire uh, good deeds so this is calling yourself to account before and likewise after as well umar bin al khattab radiyallahu anhu he used to say hasibu anfusakum he used to say, call yourselves to account, call yourselves to account, before you are called to account. Before you are called to account. And weigh yourselves, meaning weigh your deeds. Evaluate your deeds and weigh them. Before you are weighed. فَإِنَّهُ أَحْوَنُ عَلَيْكُمْ فِي الْحِسَابِ غَدًا أَنْ تُحَاسِبُوا أَنفُسَكُمْ الْيَوْمِ For indeed, it will be easier for you to deal with the accounting or the reckoning tomorrow, meaning in the hereafter, that you call yourselves to account today. Right? If you call yourselves to account today, then the reckoning in the hereafter will, will be made easy. وَتَزَيَّنُوا لِلْعَرَضِ الْأَكْبَرِ وَتَزَيَّنُوا لِلْعَرَضِ الْأَكْبَرِ And beautify yourselves, adorn yourselves for the greatest examination. يَوْمَئِذٍ تُعْرَضُونَ لَا تَخْفَى مِنْكُمْ خَافِيَةِ Because on that day, when you are you know when you when you are presented for 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 accounting then nothing there will be nothing hidden from from you you will not be able to hide anything whatsoever right so this is the statement of umar ibn al-khattab radiyallahu ta'ala anhu and so from uh, the benefits and from this hadith where you see whether well, are four things that you will be asked about your life how did you spend your life what were the activities you were engaged in in your life? The knowledge that you had. What did you do with the knowledge? How did you act upon the knowledge? Because knowledge is for acting. And how did you earn your wealth? Was it through lawful means? Was it through unlawful means? Because wealth, obviously wealth, wealth can be acquired in many, many different ways. Uh, there are tried and tested ways of acquiring wealth. But just because they are tried and tested doesn't mean that they are lawful. For example, you can go and burgle many homes. You know, you can go and rob a store and you can just acquire wealth very easily. You can go to a bank. You know, if you, if you do it carefully, you can make lots of money very quickly. It works. It's tried and tested. You know, for, for some people who are, who are careful in what they do. Does this mean now it's lawful? It's not lawful. Right? Because these ways and means of acquiring wealth... They violate the rights of other people. They are oppression. They are tyranny. They bring corruption. Right? So, how did you earn your wealth? Did you earn it in a lawful way? Did you earn it in a wholesome way? Or did you earn it in a in an unlawful way? 
Right? So you, you only ask about the way that you earn the wealth. And secondly, وَفِيمَ أَنْفَقَهُ And how did you spend the wealth? How did you spend the wealth? What did you spend it in? And finally, وَعَنْ جِسْمِهِ فِيمَ أَبْلَهُ His body, how did he, you know, what did he use it in? So you can see that in this hadith, basically it's, what are you, what are you being asked about? It's, you're being asked about all of the things to do with your person, right? Your knowledge that you acquired, uh, the physical body itself, how did you use and engage the body? And likewise, the wealth that you acquired, because wealth is something additional. It's not part of you, but something that you acquire as your property. How did you acquire it? Acquire it and what did you do with it? Right, so the point being that all of these things will be inquired into. And so therefore, this indicates the obligation of muhasabatun nafs, which means calling oneself to account, calling oneself to account. And so in doing this, there are numerous uh, benefits. The first benefit of calling yourself to account is that you expose and you recognize the faults of the self. You recognize your own faults, your own shortcomings um, in these areas, right? And anyone who is not able to recognize his own faults then he will never be able to correct them. In fact, it's the arrogant person. The arrogant person is the one who is not willing to accept or even to look for his own faults. And we see, conversely, we see the way of the, the companions, as is narrated from Umar ibn al-Khattab, radiallahu anhu, rahimallahu imra'an, uh, may Allah show mercy uh, to a man, ahda ilayya ayubi, who basically directed me to my faults. Right? So this is the way of the companions. May Allah show mercy to a man who directed me to my faults. And so, one of the benefits, or one of the great benefits of calling yourself to account, of evaluating yourself in the way that we mentioned, in the very deliberate and calculated and organized way that we mentioned, you know, in the evening, evaluate yourself. In the morning, evaluate yourself. Dedicate a bit of time to do that. One of the benefits is you start recognizing the faults of your own self, your own, you know, faults in in in, in you know your shortcomings in your character, in your person, in your in in, in you know in, in in your ibadah, in your ikhlas, in so many different things. The second thing that this points us to is it's an evidence of, you know. Uh, preparing for and being fearful of and you know uh, not being ignorant and neglectful of the hereafter and preparing to meet Allah Zawajal. The third benefit is that when a person calls himself to account in this life, then it will be easier for him in the next. It will make things easy for him. Um, fourthly, it makes a person, because many people are basically heedless, they have ghafla, they just, you know, proceed upon life, not thinking about these things, it's just eat, sleep, drink, you know, work, whatever it might be, wake up the next morning and repeat the same thing again, eat, sleep, drink, relieve yourself, go to sleep, or whatever, and then repeat this, this is like a, and they don't engage in these, you know, the, these behaviors and these actions which refine the soul, perfect the character, right? So by calling yourself to account, you free yourself from al-ghafla, meaning just being heedless, having no heed of anything. Um, you know, similar to how animals, they only have the instinct enough to basically survive physically. Where's the food? Where's the drink? Where's the shelter? That, basically, that's it. Beyond that, there's no thought or there's no, you know, uh, conscious thought because not, they're, not, they're not created to do that. Whereas humans, you know, men, women, they have the ability to think and they have the ability to, you know, engage in these, these things. So a person, he shouldn't be heedless. He should seem to seek to improve himself, keep away from sin, keep from disobedience and try to seek ihsan, 
excellence, proficiency, you know, in himself. Also from the benefits is that obviously, by way of this, you, you recognize your shortcomings and you are able to rectify them. You know, shortcomings in obligations, you are able to rectify them. Um, and also, in general, it, you know, it allows you to recognize the, 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 you know, the, the, the right of Allah upon you. And uh, if you do not know and recognize the, the right of Allah, who is your creator and maker and provider and sustainer and giver of life and taker of life and you know, all those other beautiful names and attributes, then you won't recognize the, 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 the right and you will belittle that right. Right? So calling yourself to account is one of those things that allows you to recognize the, the greatness of this particular uh, right. And also, your heart, from the, the last benefit, is that your heart is rectified. When you call yourself to account, your heart is kept healthy, uh, your heart is kept alive, uh, your heart uh, is able to experience certain feelings like you know remorse and regret, and determination, you know, to, to be better and not to fall into, you know, the same things. Like so many feelings of the heart are, are generated and they are fed when you call yourself to account, right? And so the heart remains alive. It remains alive. As opposed to, like we said, you know, you just pass on through life, you eat, sleep, drink, go to bed, wake up again, and it's just, you know, pleasure, pastime, this and the other, whatever. Your heart just over time it just dies, you know. It, it, it doesn't uh, remain alive uh, because because of these poisons that that come to it. So this is the second hadith that the Sheikh mentioned, and as you can clearly see, the verse that he mentioned at the beginning about looking at what you have presented for tomorrow, the hadith about you know be in this world as if you are a stranger. Or someone who's on a like a strange, uh, someone who's on a journey, a wayfarer. Likewise, this hadith about being held to account about these four things: you know, your life, the whole of your life, how do you spend it? Your knowledge, what you did with it; your wealth, how you earned it, how you spent it; and your body, how did you engage it and, and you know, uh, use it? So the Sheikh is saying that these texts, therefore, O Muslim, is a strong encouragement and enticement to you uh, to you know to benefit from and the fact that he has given you life you still have life you might be a youth you have a life ahead of you and he has given you good health he's given you well-being likewise he's given you all of what you find in your body the heart the tongue all of these faculties of the hearing the seeing the ability to think Right, all of these are, are benefits, are, are bounties, are favors that you that you are being given. So you should call yourself to account, and you should ask these specific questions that we've that we've mentioned here. And in all of this, there's going to be a benefit for you, and likewise reward for you. So therefore, you know, make these preparations, or Muslims, uh, you know, to ask to answer these questions. Make sure you are prepared. To answer these questions on the day of judgment, and if you do that in this life, then inshallah ta'ala, the hereafter will become will, will become a lot easier. And as Allah subhanahu wa taala He said in the Quran, "Iqtarab uh, nas hisabuhum wa hum fi muridun." Closer and closer comes to mankind their reckoning, but they are. Diverted away, you know, by way of heedlessness. They are heedless. This is the way of most of the people of the earth. Most of the people of the earth, they they are heedless, right? They are ignorant of these realities. So we should not be from these people. We should be from those who prepare, and you know, they engage in these uh, types of uh, things which are indicated in these texts. So that brings us to an end of this uh, topic, the topic of using one's time, using one's life to engage in beneficial righteous deeds and to acquire righteous deeds and to basically constantly evaluate yourself and to you know, examine yourself and scrutinize yourself and to refine one's actions and to, you know, 
this is the way of noble, upright, honorable uh, people, um, uh, and it's 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 the way of humble people uh, because they are not arrogant, you know, thinking that they are somehow perfect. Uh, rather, they, they see in themselves extreme deficiency and plenty of scope for improvement. Uh, and if you don't have that scope for looking for improvement, then you will never advance uh, and go forward. You know, in iman, in taqwa, in righteousness, and so on and so forth. So with that, we'll conclude our lesson there today. And uh, <coughs> we will continue uh, with the next lecture, or the next uh, short lectures, inshallah ta'ala. The next time that we meet in a couple of weeks' time, inshallah ta'ala. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen, wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad, wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.